0: You want 30, sir, 25 them, you're out. A on 25, a on 30, 30, now 5. I'm 35, a on 40, 40 35, i 40, I'm at 35, down 40, 40, now five, a on 45, 45 a on 50, I'm at 45, a on 50, sold 45, sold them $45, put them on 281, 281, next line, a Good
1: morning, and welcome to episode 381 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I'm Ben Lindbergh. Joined by Sam Miller and only Sam Miller today, as we do a listener email show and take a break from the team previews, uh, which most of you seem to be enjoying as we have so far.
0: Yeah, I just wish David Roth were here tonight.
1: I <laughs> know. I wish he could be here every night. Uh,
0: although I have missed this, Ben. I've missed you and me. Yeah. We n- we never talk anymore.
1: <laughs> no, not alone anyway. Um,
0: uh, you want me to read some emails?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, before we do that, did you see the, the tweet that I received today and retweeted? Uh, I was on Clubhouse Confidential to talk about Pico- Picota stuff, and I got a tweet uh, from someone who said, listening to the Effectively Wild podcast, I assume Ben Lindbergh was a fat guy <laughs> based, mm-hmm. based on his voice. Clubhouse Confidential blew my mind today. So apparently, while well, we've been talking about um fat player photos, I have been doing so in a a fat voice.
0: I have actually heard this from people in real life who um, who have also been surprised when I've told them that you are slight.
1: <laughs> wow.
0: <laughs> it's interesting because you actually sound like a large young person. <laughs> you sound like a like a large boy. <laughs> <laughs> Like you're 6'2", two, 285, 14 years old.
1: <laughs> well, sorry to deceive everyone. You can, uh, re- can read emails now.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, your picture doesn't uh, mislead, though. I mean, anybody who's seen your picture.
1: No, just the voice does.
0: On the internet, that would, would already know, mm-hmm. I would think. Um, all right. So Chris asks, how much would a team need to raise for the Jimmy Fund or similar charity to auction off a chance to start a regular season game in the field? No hitting, just play left field or wherever. How much could one person off the street hurt over one half of an inning? Think of what good all that money could do: cure cancer, shelter the homeless, etc. And we've actually have answered a, a, a version of this. We've 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 we, we've answered one of the many questions we've had that has asked like you know could could a billionaire. Um, uh you know buy a team and then like you know get to play for instance and you know how much damage could a man you know could he do over the course of a year mm-hmm. various variations on this um, but the auction is uh, what appealed to me about this because um, I like the idea generally of getting money from people who don't need it to people who do and uh, it's you know it's tricky to sort of socially engineer ways to do that and you um, one time Dan Brooks who will get uh, who uh, has asked a question that we'll answer later in the show but Dan Brooks suggested or asked me uh, how much I thought the Hall of Fame could could raise if they auctioned off a vote um, like sort of did the dead spin thing in reverse mm-hmm. and it just makes so much sense because <clears throat> why not I mean it, one vote out of 500 isn't gonna do any real damage and uh, even five votes out of 500 wouldn't do any <sighs> You're, what? What's that noise? I,
1: <laughs> well, I'm drinking tea, but that was that was a thoughtful exhalation.
0: And uh, so, um, and and you know, it, like it actually, in in that case, you can make the case that uh, the Hall of Fame benefits from having different sort of viewpoints involved. Um, nobody's going to do it who isn't interested in baseball, unless, well, actually, that's not necessarily true. Ford might do it, right? It could be it, like it could just be like naming a stadium. You would corporate sponsor a vote but regardless uh it it doesn't seem like you're going to get a worse ballot than a, a significantly worse ballot than the median ballot um and so i have long wondered how much it that would raise and now i want to know how much uh chris's idea would raise well, and see, then, i don't
1: think i don't think the hall of fame vote would raise that much or probably I, not probably i mean because that it's, much as you say, it is rather insignificant, which is why they would be willing to do it, because it's such a small percentage of the, the total voting population. Plus, it's anonymous, or at least you don't really receive any recognition for it. It's not like your your name is entered in some big book of Hall of Fame voters that everyone can see and you can brag about. So I, eh, I mean, there are people with a lot of money who will spend it on Silly things so probably You could find someone who would Pay a decent amount for charity but uh, But it wouldn't come Close to comparing to Chris's idea which I think could command A fortune I mean Yeah there are be Huge yes it would there Are many extremely Wealthy baseball fans Out there who would uh, Who would pay a massive Amount of money I would think to, to be able To see their name in you know, baseball reference or total baseball or whatever it is that they look up baseball stats in. Um, and for, yeah. a, for a team, I mean, first of all, it wouldn't do that much damage. You, I mean, you could even, uh, it, as long as the person is in the game, right, you you don't even have to have them play the field. Uh, you probably wouldn't get as much for that if you just put a guy in and immediately took him out again, although then he would still be in the official baseball records. Um but even if you left someone out there for a, an out or something, it, it, it's not a big difference. If you could pick your spot in a blowout or a meaningless game or, or whatever. I mean, so the, the competitive uh, risk is is very slight. So the only question is what the what the fallout would be. I, I mean, maybe the players would mind in some way, uh, but well,
0: okay, so let's let's let me ask you this: How much would have to be raised before the players wouldn't mind? I mean, if you yeah. if you said this guy paid two billion dollars for for <laughs> There's, you know
1: yeah There's providing no way can drinking
0: compl- water to sub-Saharan Africa, right. then it'd be hard to complain, right? <laughs> yes, right. But if it, if it were like You know, seventy-five dollars. I mean, this is sort of a common problem with silent auction donations: is that the person who donates often goes, "Oh, you only, you only got that much for it," and then it's hard to get them to contribute next year. So the players are essentially uh, donating in this scenario. Mm -hmm. So how much? How much? First off, how much do you think uh, would be raised? Let's say that this was not a one-time thing, but it was a uh, three times a year a spot like this came up. And it was every year. Um, how much do you think, on average, would be raised? And do you think that that would be enough that everybody would go along with it and say, this is purely a good thing and we don't care if it's sort of silly? Mm-hmm. And, you know, presumably, uh, both teams are eliminated. You do this in September when both teams are eliminated, and there is, you know, there is actually no, you know, competitive um, reasons not to do it. Um, so is there mm. is there any part of this that would then give you sketchy feelings?
1: I feel like it depreciates significantly if you do it three times a year every year. Um, the idea that it's a unique opportunity, I mean if it were if you said this will never happen again, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity and you auction that off. I mean, I feel like you would get many millions of dollars for that. Um, from someone.
0: Sure, but if you did it three if times, you did a, it three year times for a year, every year. Years, uh, so you think? Okay, so first we'll do it's a one-time-only thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: For some reason, and 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 even if it were a one-time-only thing, the guy knows that it might not be. Like he can only control what's happened in the past mm-hmm. and what's currently happening. He doesn't. I mean, the more he donates, in fact, the more likely it is that it will not be a one-time-only thing.
1: True. Uh, I think I don't know the number that popped into my head is like twenty million.
0: Okay. 20 there are million people with twenty
1: million to spare. and would you like- rather
0: would you rather go to space or play an inning in a major league ball game? To me, not even close ball game, not even close. It's like a, the easiest decision in the world. and people are constantly paying twenty million dollars to yeah. go into, like, into kind of space. Yeah, like, yeah, you're they're, they're <laughs> barely orbit, going. I, I would not, yeah. yeah not not to badmouth what all these space <laughs> guys are doing, but it's not space, okay? Right, right. That's not space.
1: <laughs> I agree.
0: You're going <laughs> high. You're not going yes. into space.
1: Exactly. Um, yeah, so did you have a number in mind for
0: this? 20 million seems right.
1: Yeah, because uh, not only is it a really cool thing, but... I feel like at that level, no one will be upset with you, I don't think. Uh, yeah. And you just you just look like a generous person who likes baseball.
0: Um. How far—so uh, uh, so let's say this happened. Uh, I mean, you're watching it, presumably?
1: Mm, sure, yeah.
0: Are you more excited to see this as, as a fan-slash-writer-slash-occasional-giffer are you more excited to see this, or would you be more excited to see Dontrell Willis play third base in the 19th inning?
1: Well, uh, is, he, is there an at-bat involved, or
0: is it just standing in the field for an out? Uh, just the field. just Not for an out, though. For the top of the first. Standing in the field for the top of the first.
1: Eh, I'd probably There's record. no at-bat. Probably you rather, yeah, I'd rather see someone play way out of position, someone yeah. I know.
0: Uh huh. And do you feel any, um, queasiness about the experiment in this situation? <sighs>
1: uh, not, not really. At some, I mean, it does to some extent. The reason that the opportunity is so cool and why it would command so much money is because it's unprecedented because it's so incredibly difficult to become a major league baseball player and this is a a shortcut to that um but eh, i mean it wouldn't bother me enough to object to it in any way
0: okay and then finally is there anything else in the sport that could be auctioned off that would be similarly lucrative but uh even uh you know less less disruptive i mean can you think of other things that should be auctioned off I mean, you know, being the manager seems to have virtually no stakes (laughs) whatsoever. Like, like there's not even a, there's not even an insurance issue there. Mm -hmm. And you're not really, you're not, you're in the records, I guess, but you're not in the records in the same way. Like nobody would really care. Like Ted Turner managed, who cares? Right. Right. So Bill Beck did
1: a, Bill Beck did a fans manage a game day.
0: Right, the vote, um, like where they like held up flashcards or yeah, something. Yeah. So, so how much, uh, how much would, a, how much would rich guys pay to manage a game in the major leagues? Uh,
1: to manage a whole game, I you'd get a you'd get a good amount for that. I think I don't. You'd get you wouldn't get twenty million, but you I, I, you'd yeah, get millions. I think. You think millions? I think I, so. I think more than one million.
0: I'm saying I'm saying one Two
1: one point two million, but isn't that potentially more disruptive, right? I mean, if you're actually giving the person unfettered, you you're giving that person the actual powers of the manager, and well, what
0: are the powers of the manager? The powers of the manager are to make a lineup, right? And Pitch what else changes?
1: I mean, uh, yeah,
0: so but what? So what? What else?
1: Well, well, I mean, if you're if we're talking about impact on on the game, that's that's more significant than someone standing at one position for an inning. You could he, the person could throw the game intentionally if he wanted to. He could do all kinds of crazy stuff. He could take the starter out after one pitch and put in relievers and use the whole bullpen and you know, crazy yeah, stuff.
0: Th- no, you're right. That would be much more disruptive. Now that you mention it, that <laughs> would be actually now I I would like to I would like to collect one point two million dollars and bid on this. Yeah, because that actually now starts to sound a lot more fun. <laughs>
1: yeah. What
0: would What would you rather do? I would. I mean, every like, it, it, I would not like to sit for three hours in a dugout with players who hated me because I was doing all these weird experiments. So for that reason, I would actually manage by the book, mm-hmm. uh, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So I would still rather be the player. However, yeah, uh, you do bring up a good point. You could <laughs> mess with some millionaires for
1: sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I just I want a baseball reference page. That's really the key to the – because, I mean, the (laughs) – it's not even so much the experience of – well, it is. It's being on the field during a game, but it's also being able to look yourself up in the same database or same book that, you know, whoever your hero was growing up is in.
0: Yeah. What about – how much do you think a person would pay to have – to be an umpire? But I, I don't even mean to be an umpire because I don't even want to make the calls. I just mean to stand next to an umpire. Like, like what would it be worth to have a seat that was like five feet behind second base, and you were <laughs> you were responsible for dodging anything that comes your way, but you get to just stand in the middle of the field? Would you even want to do that? That'd be I, awkward. I would be really How awkward, awkward would that be? <laughs> <laughs> it would be awful in fact in fact I if you actually kidnapped me and put me there yeah. I would pay everything I have to be free like you could if that would actually be a pretty good place to put kidnap victims <laughs> yeah I wouldn't want to do that someone would though somebody would yeah <laughs> somebody wanted to tackle the first base coach of the Chicago or the, <laughs> it was the white Sox or the Royals it was the Royals in
1: Chicago yeah. Uh-huh.
0: Somebody wants to do everything.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> all right. So that's the show. We'll be back next week. Twins. <laughs> the twins. Uh, all right. I'll, let's do another one. Yeah. This is, uh, this is from Dan Brooks, who was just mentioned. Uh, one of the hallmarks of projection systems is regression. We typically don't forecast superlative numbers, not because they don't happen, but because for any individual player, they're unlikely. Projection systems tend to be ultra-conservative. Contrast that with prospect evaluation, where guys are given eight grades, written up as a sure thing, forecasted to be all-stars, etc. Prospect evaluations tend to vary, but most are not hesitant to give out a wide range of scores, despite actually having less objective data to go on. Any thoughts on this disparity? Should we tell ourselves that eight really means a little bit more likely to succeed, and that a projected first division all-star really means Kinda might make the majors someday if he's lucky and things fall into place, or should we tell ourselves the projection systems are simply too conservative and that Chris Davis will probably hit sixty home runs? <clears throat>
1: uh,
0: I don't know that I, to- I don't know that I buy the premise.
1: Yeah, I, I actually, get it.
0: I oh. I don't feel like there are that many. I mean, for instance, um, there there are players who are projected to be all stars. Just as, you know, Pakota projects mm-hmm. a lot of players to perform at an all star level, there are not players, though, who are projected really to be Hall of Famers. I mean, I've been, there might be somewhere, but like I've been reading the, you know, the top tens that, that we've been running mm-hmm. uh, all year. And, um, it, it, it actually does feel like there's a, there's a heavy dosage of, uh, of conservativeness in these projections. Nobody is projected to be the next, um, Mike Trout, for instance, mm-hmm. um, it tends to be like, – like I'm actually – I'll be surprised to see these glowing reports and big scores put on their power and then they go, he could be a 18 to 20 home run guy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so I actually feel like – I don't know if this is necessarily true industry-wide, but it, at least ours, I feel like they are pretty conservative. Um, mm-hmm. not a lot Not a lot of extreme cases projected. Uh, regulars are projected. Some some all star level performers are projected. I just read Oscar Tavares, which will run tomorrow, and that's a, one of the more extreme ones where it says batting titles, and that might be an example that Dan would would put because the average player probably is not ever projected to win a batting title. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but it's,
1: it's kind of saying he's capable of that sort of thing. It's not necessarily yeah. predicting that he will he has the skills that a batting title winner would have. Um.
0: Yeah, no, I know, but that's a generous that's you're generously discounting that. I mean, what it says is that there are batting titles in his future, which is what yeah. Dan is, is bringing up sure. And yeah. so in that case, in that case I can I can see that. I do think there's this issue with comps for sure where um, if a player reminds you, say you're a scout and you've been scouting for 50 years and you know you've seen 10 guys who look like Bo Jackson and 6 of them never got past double A and two of them were you know spent 3 years in the big leagues and one of them was you know a pretty good ball player and one of them is Bo Jackson well Bo Jackson's the one you're going to remember and so when you're when you're when you see the 11th guy who looks like Bo Jackson who fits that archetype you're not going to remember, you're certainly not going to remember the six, and you're less likely to remember the nine. you You're gonna The one that's going to come to you is Bo Jackson. And so there is a huge default for the comp to be the most famous comp that you can imagine. And so that creates this world where everybody's comp is amazing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of why a lot of prospect writers bristle when you ask for comps, because mm-hmm. the comps have taken on um, a little bit of a... a Bad science uh, reputation, and I think that's very fair.
1: Mm. Yeah, Uh, yeah. I don't know you. I I feel like uh, looking at some of the internal discussions that go on with the the prospect staff. People talking about what grades to give certain players, and I mean, how many eights have there been during this whole off-season series? Yeah, I mean, maybe a, a couple. Um, and, and, and
0: even, and even those generally are not projected eights. They're eights for the level.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. And, right.
0: and so, so, the, uh, I don't know if anybody's had a projected eight. I don't.
1: Yeah. And I, and I know eight. that, that Jason often says that, you know, he wants to, he likes to use an eight every now and then, because if you never ever use an eight, then there's no point in having a a 20 to 80 scale you might as well stop somewhere else it just it's silly to to have a scale and just put the top part of the scale off limits completely but even so it's it's very rare for him to to drop that on anyone but and uh, i mean is dan saying that uh that scouts <coughs> should should uh, you know if they see a guy once they should want to see him several more times before they put an optimistic grade on a guy because maybe he was just having a good day. Um, that's that's possible. But but a lot of these things are... I mean, you, you can't say that a guy is a 300 hitter um, until you've seen him hit 300 over a really long period of time. But you can say that a guy has an 8 fastball, maybe based on one game or you can say that a guy has an eight run based on one time to first maybe. Um, so to, to some extent these things require less of a sample, right? Because they're, they're just innate tools that you can either see or not see.
0: Um, yeah, kind of, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, with with running to first, that's true. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy either ran that fast or he didn't, and there's probably not a huge amount of variation. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the others, you do sort of have to live with the player a little bit before you can get a really good read on it. Mm-hmm. I did. I talked to a scout not long ago who told me that he scouted Jeff Mathis at one point, and in retrospect, he actually says he he. Uh, he should have. Re- he saw him on a really good day and wrote a really good report on him and says, in retrospect, uh, he got too swayed by one day. He should have regressed mm-hmm. uh, his experience and pretty explicitly acknowledged that. So I don't know. I don't know if scouts regress to the mean. If they. Uh, if they do regress, uh, you know, if they do assume that if they see a guy doing something unexpectedly good, that it's, uh, you know, they caught him on a good day. Cause guys do vary from day to day.
1: Yeah. Right. You could, you can say that a guy had a seven, whatever on that day. You at least know that he's capable of doing it. You don't necessarily know if he can consistently do it, which is important also.
0: But, but this is what Dan is asking. I mean, mm-hmm. the, you also know that Chris Davis is capable of hitting 53 home runs. You don't know if he's consistently capable of doing it.
1: Well, who is? <laughs> like, no one is, really. Uh-huh. So. Um,
0: right. Whereas some people are consistently capable of running as fast as whatever you saw him run mm-hmm. to first, year.
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, Alright, so the next question is also actually about. This is a Dan Brooks slash, well, this is a Dan Brooks episode, as it turns out. Um, this is from Bobby. Uh, getting back to the recommendation Sam gave. A couple. I, do you remember a couple months ago when I talked about how I love the player cards on Brooks Baseball? How they
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: sum up the player's approach at their at the sort of uh, homepage for each player, player mm-hmm. page page. So, um, so I, he's referring to that recommendation. Uh, uh, are you guys surprised that Mike Trout's write up on Brooks Baseball isn't a glowing endorsement? And then he links to Mike Trout's uh, write up on Brooks Baseball, and I'm I'm going to read it. In mm-hmm. 2013. Against all fastballs, he had a league average eye and an exceptionally patient approach at the plate with a league average likelihood to swing and miss. Against breaking pitches, he had a very poor eye and a very patient approach to the plate with a league average likelihood to swing and miss. And against off-speed pitches, he had a poor eye and a steady approach to the plate and a below average likelihood to swing and miss. So there's basically, this is Mike Trout, the greatest player of his generation, and uh, perhaps of all time we will see and there is in this write-up one superlative and uh, one close to superlative he, he has an exceptionally patient approach on fastballs he has a very patient approach on breaking pitches those are the two kind of raves but otherwise you know you wouldn't be able to pick this guy out of a of, 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 a, of a bucket of other pretty good hitters um, and so uh, Bobby says, I'm surprised he doesn't have a great eye. He had a 432 on base percentage last year and led the league with 110 walks. He has positive run values against every pitch offering. Wild. Mm. Um, So I asked uh, Dan about this.
1: Oh, good. I was going to say we should ask Dan. You're Uh, way ahead of me.
0: Well, no, I mean I asked – I I don't remember what he said.
1: Oh,
0: okay. Uh, Hang on. I'm scrolling. Uh, (laughs) So – uh, so, first off, though, I will—I I just want to say that um, this doesn't not make sense. Mike, Mike Trout um, is patient, He's and he's patient, and he looks mature for his age, the plate. And he does seem to see pitches well, and he does seem to have a pretty good eye. Um, but what makes Mike Trout marvelous is his ability to put the bat on the ball, which happens after... You know, after it, it, it's not really, it, it happens after he's swung, so it's not really an issue of his approach. It's a, more of an issue of hand-eye coordination. And then what happens after the bat hits the ball, which is that he's very strong and exceptionally fast, which creates um, a lot of power when he hits fly balls and a spectacular babip when he uh, hits it in the park. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't totally shock me that, um, that the things that Mike Trout does extremely well wouldn't show up on a description of his plate discipline. Now, Bobby does, though, point out that he had a 432 on-base percentage last year and led the league with 110 walks. So it's not just that the ballsy hits fall in or go over the wall. He also draws a lot of walks. So Dan says he's very patient, and he doesn't swing and miss often, which makes up for the fact that he chases a bit. And this is a good description of Mike Trout. He is very patient. He takes a lot of pitches. Uh, particularly, I, I would say, early in games, and he doesn't swing and miss often, mm-hmm. um, and he does chase. He, he will chase more than you expect, uh, given his on-base percentage. And Dan says that uh, if you look at guys with high on-base percentages and good walk-to-strikeout ratios, which Trout also has. He struck out quite a bit last year, but he walked so much that so he had a good ratio. One thing they do better than most other guys is isn't discriminate the strike zone better but rather they just don't swing Uh, and then Dan says I remember looking at this a few years ago Abreu, Euclid, Drew, Scudero it wasn't that they had great eyes they just didn't swing the bat which turns out to be a pretty valuable thing dumb as it sounds Mike Trout had the second lowest swing percentage in baseball last year Mm -hmm. and um, so uh, going a little bit off topic uh, a bit what do you think about what Dan says? Where the ability to just not swing the bat turns out to be a valuable thing. I mean, we in the I would say in the um, sort of post Moneyball correction era, mm-hmm. which maybe is what we're living in, we've learned that uh, the point is not to walk, and that you you know you shouldn't be teaching young hitters to walk. You want to teach them to leverage the count, and and that it's uh, you know you can be too patient and all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you think about the idea that in fact simply n- not swinging the bat is a very valuable thing?
1: Uh that that makes some sense to me. Um <laughs> we've we've talked about it with pitchers hitting at the plate and how you, you think they should never swing, right? Um for actual hitters, uh I guess I could I can see that. Um so is he saying that uh, so it's that the guy that no one is really able to consistently distinguish which pitches not to swing at and so it's just that not swinging at all tends to favor certain hitters or
0: no he's saying if you don't swing you'll walk a lot <laughs> that 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 if you just don't swing that the um, I, I think if I'm if I'm if I'm understanding correctly, that if you just don't swing, that the advantage that you gain will be greater in walks and hitters' counts than the disadvantage that you pick up in strikeouts and pitchers' counts. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, uh, yeah, that, that makes some sense. I, I mean, you'd have to... It would only work if when you do swing, you you get good results, I,
0: uh-huh. I would
1: think. Um, uh-huh. Because... If you don't get good results when you do swing, then eventually you'll just start seeing a lot more strikes and it won't work that well anymore, right? So it's not, not necessarily something that you could just tell anyone to do or automatically get someone who doesn't swing and assume that, that he'll be good. But I guess I could see how, on average, hitters who swing less would be better.
0: Yeah, I think that um, I think I think this makes sense to me. I I think that what it is is that um, that if you don't swing, then you know if you don't swing, what happens? Well, you go deeper into the count. You get closer to the end stage, right? Mm-hmm. Early on in the count, you don't know what the at bat's going to turn into. It could go in any direction, um, but the deeper you go, the deeper you get to a forced conclusion. And so the deeper you go, the pitcher and the batter have to make adjustments. And so if you just go up there and you take and you get to three balls, then the pitcher has to throw a strike. And if you just go up there and take and you get to two strikes, then you have to swing, right? Both of those things are pretty obvious Mm -hmm. and, and intuitive. And I think that it's probably fair to say that batters are better at putting the bat on the ball with two strikes Then pitchers are good at throwing strikes with three balls. Mm -hmm. Pitchers aren't very good at throwing strikes ever (laughs) with with three balls or any time. We've
1: talked about that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So it might actually be that the deeper you get into account, the more that the batter is actually able to take, um, to sort of uh, exert his agency. Mm -hmm. A pitcher is still going to always be kind of incompetent because pitchers, it's a really hard target to hit. Um, whereas hitters are sort of more competent. So that's kind of, I don't know, I haven't like obviously tested that Mm -hmm. or anything like that, but that's sort of what occurred to me, it might be the explanation here. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's also the fact that a walk is significantly better than the average batted ball then a strikeout is significantly worse than the average batted ball, since the average batted ball is going to be an out anyway. Um, you know, a strikeout's not that much worse, whereas the average batted ball is not going to be a hit anyway. A walk is significantly better, so that's also an issue.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, I'll buy it. All
0: right, last question. Paul uh, uh, asks: Suppose a few years down the road, Mike Trout signs uh, with a team for twenty years and a half a billion dollars. Um, No opt outs, no options, no benefits. He's just a half a billion dollar player. So content with being a half billionaire and more than set for life, he decides being good at baseball isn't that important. He shows up at the park every day and plays when he's in the lineup. But he basically phones it in. When he's called on, uh, he'll frolic over to any ball hit his way, etc. He doesn't care what his manager, teammates, or the media have to say on account of him being so rich. He does nothing explicitly wrong, per se, that would give the team who signs him grounds to invoke any clauses to void the contract for any misconduct. He just appears to have lost all ability and interest in playing the game. Is this a complete doomsday scenario for MLB? Uh, MLB as uh, owners, players' association, fans' media would be communally disgusted by such a display, but I suggest it would foster enough distrust between every party to seriously cloud the future of professional baseball as we know it, or not. Uh, I don't... Th- I, I think that the thing is that very few players sign contracts that they uh, are certain are the end of their are at the end of their earning potential. I mean, mm-hmm. even even in this scenario, Trout's twenty two right now. Mm-hmm. So even if he signed it today, he'd be forty two at the end. And there are forty two year olds who make a lot of money. You know, Bonds was making eighteen million dollars when he was forty three and and twenty years from now, you know, we're all gonna be living to to two hundred years old. So who knows? <laughs> but and he's so, a
1: half billionaire. Maybe he doesn't want anymore.
0: Oh right. That's why Arod was totally content to not keep doing steroids and threatening to murder people. Like, Do you know anything about humans, Ben? They just want all the money, all of it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So uh, as long as there's earning potential there, significant earning potential, I mean this was the fear, right? This was what everybody warned was going to happen when free agency came. They just said, oh, well, once players start getting rich, they're just not going to want to, you know, you're not going to have guys who play into their 40s anymore, or, you know. There were people who thought that none of these career records would ever break because guys would get rich and quit at 35. Mm-hmm. And that's explicitly the opposite of what has happened. Guys play, uh, you know, at a higher level later in their careers. And my sense, at least from uh, the fact that um, Omar Vizquel is like, probably trying to come back right now uh, is that they play later uh than they than they used to too um and so that didn't happen so it would really only be the scenario where a players contract were sort of certain to take them to the end of their career mm-hmm. that this might be the case and that's happened too i mean like for instance um mariano rivera knew that he was ret- mariano rivera bad example because like what like he would ever do anything wrong but lots of guys lots of guys know they're going to retire at the end of the year Mm -hmm. and yet you don't ever hear about them quitting quitting you know griffey Mm -hmm. took naps that's the closest you ever came griffey took naps when he wasn't actually even you know what when he wasn't needed Mm -hmm. but um you don't really hear about guys just quitting on the sport um and I, i wonder why that is i guess it's just you know i guess it's because it's it it just sucks to look bad doing something anything like i feel stressed doing this podcast and i have no financial incentive one way or the other good or bad this podcast is is, is, is has no impact on my bank account and and in fact the incentives are for me to be worse i don't like doing it <laughs> and yet and yet I am nervous that I'm going to do a bad job. I'm nervous before every episode that it's not going to be a good episode. <laughs> and so I just think that the social pressure – I don't know what the ratio of power for, uh, between social pressure and financial pressure is. Mm-hmm. But like I think that the social pressure might actually be worth uh, more than the amount of money you could pay a person.
1: Yeah. I mean imagine – the attitude towards this guy that his teammates would have, it would be unbearable to be in the clubhouse with 24 other people who knew that you were phoning it in and hurting their chances of winning. Um, you'd Billions have
0: to, of people watch you. Millions!
1: Yeah, yeah, you'd have to be... I mean, you just have to be a non-human for that not to bother you, just about. Um, yeah. Yeah. So even if, even if there were one, one guy who was like this somehow, um, yeah, I don't know whether it would be really a, a destabilizing influence. It, it does seem like something that would be extremely rare.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, has there been an example? To, can you think of an example of a person who was even accused of this?
1: Like, well, Derek Bell... Operation Shutdown.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just that's so, right. That's so good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think you know what. As soon as we hang up, I'm gonna read about Derek Bell for the next forty minutes. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> that's gonna be fun. We should do an entire episode on Derek Bell.
1: <laughs> should have him on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we should. <laughs> All right. So that's uh, that's a week uh, of tel- of podcasts. Um, we'll be back next week with uh, our twins episode. Yep. Is that correct?
1: Twins on Monday.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, send us more questions. We'll do this again in a week. Mm-hmm. And um, coming up, there is no second portion of this show. This is it. So just. <laughs> s-
1: yeah. Podcast s- at baseballperspectus.com. And please rate and review us on iTunes and subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever service you use to, to listen to this show. Uh, we appreciate it. And we also hope that you join your, our Facebook group, or at least I do. Uh, at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. So have a nice weekend. We will be back on Monday.